fam, welcome to All Nations Baton Rouge Podcast, where we exist to help you find family, discover purpose, and change the world. Here's this week's message. I hope it is a blessing to you and your family. Here we go. 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 before you long. There's such a sweet presence of God in this house. Aren't you glad to be a part of a church that allows God to move in that way? You know, we don't hinder worship, but we let God move and we give God our best in worship. Amen. And I, I want to say this, uh, that as I minister in the word of God today, I pray that this word will really reach into your mind and uh, help you especially as we go into this holiday season. Uh, Believe it or not, not everybody gets excited about the holiday time. And excited as many of us may be about the period that we're entering into, the holiday season can be a season of frustration for many people. Maybe it's because of fractured family relationships, or maybe it's because you lost somebody uh, around the holiday season or even outside of the holiday season, but it reminds you of the fact that they are not there. Uh, Maybe it's because you feel lonely uh, during this time period. Maybe your mind battles you in this time period. But I pray uh, even now that this be a season of joy for many of you. Yeah, yeah, that this be a season of joy. And that all the frustration and all the anxiety that you may have encountered before now, even, ooh, can can we pray over the minds before we get in the word? I know that we're going to jump into the word, but can we pray for some minds in the room? Right? Can you just lay your hands on your head if you, you know you need this prayer? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray now, God, over our minds. God, that you help us to think the way that you desire. God, rid us of the thoughts that the enemy is trying to place in our minds, how he's war with us, lied to us even about who we are. God, I pray that in this time and season that the grief that some of us experience every year in this time period, that this will be a year that we will experience your joy. We uproot the rejection. We uproot the burdens. We uproot the anxiety. We uproot the frustration. And God, we thank you for the healing now. We thank you for your peace and your rest. We thank you for the confidence that we have in your Holy Spirit to be with us, to care for us, to guide us. And God, I pray that on today that you will reverse, reverse every word that has been spoken over us that does not line up with what you said. And God, we thank you now that we walk with boldness and authority into the season that you have ahead of ahead for us with joy, with confidence, and with peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Somebody shout hallelujah. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, I'm believing for your joy in this season. Amen. Can we jump into the word of God? We're not going to be long. I just want to get it, get this word out. Uh, God moved in such a way in the first service. I couldn't even preach. Uh, it looked like that was about to happen in this service. Amen. But I want to get this word out because I know some people need it. Amen. This We are wrapping up the series entitled Mind Matters today, Mind Matters, and God has been allowing us to walk through our minds and our mentalities so that we can uproot the plan of the enemy. Many times the biggest battle that we encounter on a day-to-day basis happens in our minds. And the enemy will war with us in our thought life in such a way that he gains ground and victory when we submit to what he is saying about us. Amen. 
And, you know, we spent, before we got into this series, we spent about 10 weeks talking about spiritual warfare because it's important to understand both the natural and the spiritual component of the war in the mind. Amen. There is a natural side to this, which is why we do not discount or discredit what it means to exercise the proper mental health, even going to see experts. Amen. Making sure some, some of you need to sit down with a counselor. That is a great thing. When we are looking in the natural, it could be wonderful treatment to make sure you go and see somebody who has been trained to deal with your mind. Amen. Can I help you out with it? Because I know we struggle with it, especially in the church. We'd be like, I don't need all that. Yes, you do. Amen. When you feel sick in your physical body, what you do? Go to the doctor. Amen. Now, I know some of you are hard-headed and you don't barely go. Amen. And the men say... The rest of y'all men lying up in here, amen. Turn the lights up on me a little bit more. <laughs> but a lot, a lot of times we battle, uh, you know, with that. But when we are sick in our physical body, we understand the value of going to speak to somebody who's practicing. Amen. And that's a whole word in itself. But then when we deal with our mind, then we shut off or we close ourselves off to the processes that have been placed in the earth to help us. That is a good thing. It is a wonderful thing to go and speak with a counselor. I want to reiterate that over and over and over and over. Try Jesus and a counselor too. Amen. Look at your neighbor say, try Jesus and a counselor too. Some of the counselors sit next to the neighbor and say, hey, come talk to me if you need to. But it's also important to understand the spiritual context of the battle in the mind because it's also spiritual warfare. When we are dealing with encounters in our mind, a lot of times the enemy is warring against us. We talked about powers and principalities and rulers of darkness in high places. We broke it down. We understand the spirit of heaviness, how the spirit of heaviness a lot of times come with the spirit of bondage, how it also comes with the lying spirit to try to convince us of something that is not real. There is a spiritual connotation and context to what goes on in the mind. And I want to bridge the gap for you today. Can we do both of them? Can we deal with the natural and the spiritual? This message is entitled, I'm sick and I need someone to help me. I'm sick. Have you ever heard somebody say, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired? That's a real thing. Have you ever been sick and tired over and over again? You can get tired of it. When you are warring with your mind, it can get tiring to constantly be in the same pattern of having to address what's going on in the mind. And this is not even in my notes, but let me say this. You, you know, the first week we talked about being surrounded by the surrender. Some of you really need to evaluate who's around you because even when you're dealing with certain things in your mind, if the right people show up at the right time, it can get the right response out of you. You need the right people around you. Likewise, if the wrong person show up. You know that person that as soon as they walk in the room, you're like, oh, my body just felt heavy as soon as you walked in the room. I just got tense when I saw you. When I hear your voice, it sounds like fingers scratching down a board. I just, it's just me. Am I the only one that got people? <laughs> I got some people, you know that when you got certain things going on in your mind and their name pop up on your phone, you're like, uh-uh, uh-uh, not today. Not today. We're not talking today. I ain't got time today. In the words of the prolific Sweet Brown, ain't nobody. (laughs) 
But when you are dealing with things in your mind, being surrounded properly can be a wonderful thing. And so evaluating your circle, even before I get into this, is important. I hope over the last few weeks you have been taking close inventory of the people that are around you. I would invite you to even go further. I'm going to do a whole series on this. I told my wife, I said, I think I'm going to take a different angle when I deal with relationships this next year because I want you to learn how to lean into relationships properly. Even your friendships. Half of you don't know what your friends bring to the table because you haven't even stopped to take the time to evaluate what they actually mean in your life. And so you're turning to the wrong friend at the wrong time. When you take an inventory of what they bring to the table, you know who to call and when. When I'm going through this kind of situation, I call this friend. When I'm going through this situation, I call this friend. And if I'm over here, but I'm calling this one, you still getting on my nerves. You can be surrendered and not for that moment. Let me get in this word. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. It says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be what? Made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses what? All understanding will guard your hearts and minds through who? So be anxious for nothing. Don't allow yourself to live in anxiety over anything. Right? When you are anxious, when you have anxiety, then you have a, a, a wrong perception, right, of what is to come or how quickly you should get there. So when you think about anxiety, the triggers of anxiety is I have the wrong perception about what's going on around me. And a lot of times I also have the wrong perception of the speed at which I should be moving with the things that are around me. Some of the things that we feel the most anxious about is because we look and we, we have our own individual timelines and sometimes we think we're going too slow or too fast and not at the right pace and then we begin to become frustrated and get through anxiety because of our own misperception about where we should be, when we should be, how we should be, all of that. And you can get anxiety about anything. I'm a lot better now, but I tell you in the early days, do you know every Sunday I'll be like, I don't know if anybody's going to be at church today. My wife would get so frustrated with me. When I tell you, every weekend. Now, we would fill the church every... Y'all looking at me like I'm crazy, but y'all crazy too. I ain't don't... Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you crazy too. Every weekend. So, I would go through this whole process. Sunday's coming, and I'm getting all anxious. Tomorrow's going to be the day. Now, people have been coming for years, but I'm like, tomorrow's going to be the day that nobody's going to show up to church, and I'm going to be in there with nobody. <laughs> and my wife over here talking about it's just foolish. We're not going to mess with her today on all the many things. Amen. <laughs> day after day after day after day after day. Hallelujah. Let me get... <laughs> But I had a misperception of what was to come. And a lot of times the worry that I would encounter would cause physical problems in my body. So I would show up and barely have a voice because I worried too much the night before about what could happen when God already had it figured out. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer, what? Prayer and supplication. By what? By what? Prayer. By what? Prayer. Why y'all don't have a prayer life? 
Notice that you don't get to the peace of God before you pursue your time with God. So it says, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with what? Thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus when you have done the needful part. Now, the mind is the seat of a, purchase conscious, a person's conscience. It is the place where we identify who we are, who God is, and even how we fit in the world. We entitled this Mind Matters because I want you to know that mental health cannot be understated. I love what Pastor uh, Jetson said on last Sunday is that we have to consider our mental hygiene. Am I doing what it takes to make sure that my mind is clean? Doing what it takes to make sure my mind is clean makes me consider what I allow to come into my mind how long I allow thoughts to be in my mind. It makes me consider where I allow myself to be because some environments are not healthy for my mind. Some of you are working in professions that are not healthy for your mind. I'm not telling you to quit your job tomorrow, but you might need to consider a new area of provision. Now do it with wisdom, amen? Because y'all get bold. You can say, Pastor Roe told go right to your boss tomorrow. Pastor Roe told me this place is no longer healthy for my mind, and I'm leaving. And not having a job is not healthy for your wallet. Amen. And your refrigerator. And your closet. So, with the wisdom of God... Y'all know I just navigated a transition in my career. So I've spent, I've spent, what, 16, 17 years in financial services. The last eight of those years, I've been president and CEO of two different financial institutions. And recently, because I was working in Lake Charles and growing a fast-growing church, I said, this is not healthy for my mind and body to drive five hours a day. Amen? Did you hear what I said? I was driving five hours a day. I knew a year in advance that this was no longer healthy for me. I'm going somewhere. And I'm going to get back over here. A year in advance, I said, I must make a transition. I started having conversation with my wife. I didn't walk in and say, I'm quitting my job tomorrow. <laughs> I navigated the journey that was necessary that got me where I am now. Now I'm a partner of a firm, a consulting firm, and I get to work from my house. Somebody say, from you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Because I was not anxious, I didn't allow myself to be overwhelmed and therefore make decisions out of season because anxiety is driving what I decide on. I was patient. Because anxiety will have you making decisions that are crazy. You can't even think the same when you're anxious. Let's be honest. When your heart is racing fast, you can't think the same. They've done all kind of research. Sometimes people fail tests, not because they didn't have the knowledge, but because so much anxiety got on them that they could not think clearly to complete what was in front of them. That's a word. Some of you keep going in the same season on the merry-go-round over and over again because you are allowing anxiety to cause you to not be able to think straight. We're going to get your mind straight today. We're going to teach you how to chill out so that you can hear God. 
Anxious from the, is from the Greek word Mary mano, which means to be troubled with cares. To be troubled with cares. When I am anxious, the idea that I have to move out of season is triggered by this thought process of fear. I'm troubled with the cares of this world. I believe more in the possibility of impending danger, of impending failure, than I believe in the power of God to cause great success to come in my life. Mm. Fear is an investment of faith into failure. So when I'm fearful, I invest in this faith process that failure is inevitable. And when I allow myself to be dictated by that fear, then I begin to have self-fulfilled prophecy, not because it was the will of God, but I directed myself out of anxiety. Prayer and supplication engage your imagination and intellectual framework. When I go to God, then I let God be the designer of the thoughts that are in my mind. And if God designs how my mind begins to think, then I think with a thought pattern that directs me to the destiny that has already been prepared for me. God has already cultivated a destiny that is beautiful for me, but it's important that I let my mind think according to what God has said. Heart is from the Greek word cardia, which means the center and seat of spiritual life, the soul or mind. So I liken the difference between sound and poor mental health to the difference between swimming in the Mississippi River and swimming on the beaches of Destin or San Diego. Anybody have been to San Diego or been to Cali? The water is a lot different in California. A lot different. That Mississippi, and we know it's a part of our heritage, but that thing is nasty. <laughs> I'm going somewhere with that. Because what has happened in your family, your family lineage, your mom and them, your grandmom and them, all that, they're part of your heritage. But a lot of times it's like swimming in the Mississippi River when you let their thoughts dictate what you do. Sometimes you have to look at your mama and them and say, you've been getting it wrong for 20 years. I'm sorry, but I'm going to try a new path. And be sure to end it with respectfully. I don't want y'all to get slapped in the mouth by your mama. I don't care how old mama gets, she's still popular. Amen. Because y'all go, my pastor said, I need to let you know that your mind been jacked up. Now, next thing you know, they coming here next Sunday trying to get all mad with me because you don't take that to your mama now. Don't bring me up at Thanksgiving unless you say, unless you say, I go to a great church and I want you to check it out. That's the only permission you have at Thanksgiving. And everything else, you want to know what I say? If you got something to say about me, just shut up. Amen. <laughs> The Bible actually says in 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, study to be quiet. That is not in this, in, in this message, but half of your mind, your mind would be so much better if you learn how to shut up. Amen. They got so many people on social media. I just want to, I want to go down social media and just post after post after post. I want to comment under it. Shut up. And then go to the next one. Shut up. And then go to the next one. You really shut up. Y'all want to do it the same. That's why you deactivate your account every other day. 
Oh, Lord, I'm petty, ratchet, and anointed too. Selah. This message, though, <laughs> isn't only for those who suffer from prolonged issues with their mental health. It's for all of us. I believe that we all have to make a decision to manage our mental health, mental health on a regular basis. You got to think about what can I do about my poor mental health? If my mind is not in the right place, what can I do? And let me tell you, we all navigate periods of poor mental health, right? We all have, and we need the right people to call us on it. Amen? I'm going to pick on my wife for a little bit, amen, because I allow myself to pick on myself. But I have to call on it sometimes. Some days I'm like, you just got out the bed. Like, how are you already acting like that? How you roll over with your bonnet on and roll your eyes as soon as they open? You just got up. Y'all, they see a crystal up here, she says, sit down. It's a thought pattern. Because as soon, as soon as I wake up, my mind automatically moves to negativity before I even get my day started. Something is wrong with how I am caring for my mind. Well, you don't understand, Pastor. I was tired when I got up. Well, you should have gone to bed earlier. Well, I had stuff to do. Well, you should have organized it better so you could have gotten it done on time. It's still your responsibility. Your mind is your responsibility. It is nobody else's responsibility to make sure your mind is whole. It is your full 100% total responsibility to care for your mind. And sometimes taking responsibility for your mind is setting boundaries of what you will and will not accept. I'm going to say this one more. I'm going to leave my wife alone. Amen. Because I love her and she loved me. That girl took care of me Friday. We ain't going to get into all that, but she just went all out for me. All. My mind was ministered to at the end of the day. I don't forgot what I was going to say just that fast. Let me get to this, to this message. The healing at Bethesda, I believe, shows us something that's important about mindset. Because sometimes God is ready to move in our lives, but because we have the wrong mindset, then God cannot move the same way. Many times we've missed moments with God because we could not consider them properly. And sometimes we were not willing to accept personal responsibility, right, for what it is that we need to do to make sure that our mind stays healthy and whole. Boundaries are necessary. Boundaries are necessary. One thing I do, like, I, 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 I learned, I'm not letting people spring up a whole lot of last-minute stuff on me. If it's going to be work for me, you can spring up last-minute fun all the time. Last-minute fun, we down. If you come at the last minute and you got work for me, boundaries, uh-uh. I'm protecting mine. And if you mad about it, it's your own personal responsibility. That's what I was about to say about my wife, amen? 
She know lately I just be like, no, she like, can you do such and such? Uh-uh, I can't, I actually can, I'm sorry. John the fifth chapter, verse one through nine. I love you, baby, you are so amazing. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. A man was there who had been ill in his sickness for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now there are a couple of things that I think we need to understand concerning the context of this story so that we get the full revelation of what the Lord is saying here. The first thing I recognize is that there's a miracle that takes place during a feast of the Jews. Now many theologians believe that this was the Passover feast. Passover reminds us of the miracles God performed to deliver the children of Israel from the land of bondage. You, I mean, you read your word and you know, you know about the Passover and how it, was, how it was instituted, right? You know, a lot of, if you think about them, I believe that a lot of them were anxious as they were going through that. The scripture literally told us in the word, it says, firstborn children will die this night. So if you think about that, if you got a revelation that all firstborn were going to die, wouldn't you feel some level of anxiety? They were going through something. So when we think about this feast, a lot of what was happening even in this time period was connected. When you look at the Bible and you look at, at, at the lineage of everything, you see the connectivity of the word from the Old Testament to the New Testament. I think that it's important. Many of you in this room are bound in the area of your mind. The cares of life, both real and imagined, are weighing you down. Notice I said both real and imagined. Have you ever been talking to somebody and they tell you about their situation and you're like, it really isn't the way that you see it? Because I'm on the outside, I see something that you don't see. So I think that it's important that we see that this miracle was connected to a feast of the Jews. But I think the other important thing to know is that these people had come to the pool of Bethesda. Names matter. Amen? I'm not going to get into that. Amen. We do, names matter. Be careful what you name your child. Some of you be naming your child Sorrow of the Water if you look it up. I don't know. And then you're like, I don't know why this child just cries all the time. Did you look up what that name means? Now we know with some of these names, y'all are just making new definitions because some of these names, back in the, let me back in this. Because some of y'all, I felt an offense come in the room. My leader said, I feel a chill in the room, right? I think this is significant because Bethesda means house or place of mercy. So in other words, they had come to the house of mercy. And I want you to think, how many of us, instead of running to the house of mercy, run to the house of self-medication 
in an attempt to address our mental conditions. We go and we find the things that we think are going to help us to feel better. Right? So I, I remember watching this movie. It's, it's some crazy things happen in the movie, but this part reminds me of something in Monsters Ball, right, where, where Halle Berry's character, she kept saying, make me feel good. What she was saying is, I understand that I'm dealing with something and I don't want to address this or do something that's going to cause my mind to get off of it temporarily. The crazy thing is a lot of what we turn to in the temporary moment is the thing that causes damage in the next moment because we were trying to fix something with something that wasn't designed to correct it. So maybe you ended up in somebody's bed that you didn't need to be in because you wanted them to make you feel good and then you realized that you got, got up with something. Or you've allowed alcohol to take you away and take you out of this atmosphere because I don't want to have to deal what's in front of me. Do something that makes me feel like I'm not here. Or you're turning to drugs because oh, I just need to escape for a moment. And now we're left with the physical implications, the mental implications that that medication, self-medication was never designed to fix anything for you. There is no mercy in self-medication, only misery. Can I also tell you this? Can I bust somebody's bubble, especially the super religious? The church is not the only house or place of mercy. The church is the house of mercy. The hospital can be a place of mercy too. By definition, mercy is unearned. So our house of mercy can be right here in this room right now, today, if you allow God to do it. Another observation I think that's important is that the scripture says that the man was ill, and it says, in his sickness. Did you notice that the scripture never said that he was lame? Wow. See, some of you think because Jesus said, rise, take up that bed, and walk, that he was just that he didn't walk. The scripture never really tells us that he was lame. It says he was ill in his sickness. Some translations add that in, but if you read the original, it never said that. The man's illness is undisclosed. Could it be that for 38 years, the man was actually struggling with a mental illness? That he couldn't think right. And that's why when the moment of healing was there, he said, nobody is here to put me in. He couldn't even fathom that he had the capacity to get there for himself. I would think that if his illness was just being lame, that it would be discriminatory for people to never consider putting him in, because I'm sure people who couldn't walk was placed in the water before. So the fact that he sat there all that time and didn't get healing actually speaks more to his mind than anything else. And 38 years is a long time for any sickness. So I believe that his mind was messed up. And it's just like a lot of times we come into the house of God and we see other people get healed and we see other people get free and we see other people begin to move forth in purpose and we can't even fathom that God can do it for us. So we come up with excuses why it didn't happen for us and it happened for somebody else. No, we need to get our minds right so that we can embrace that God wants to do it for us too. 
I began to sing in the first service, and I'm at the end of the service, I said, I can see differently, I can see differently. He wants it for me. So when Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been a long time in that condition, Jesus begins to speak to him. Jesus had information about his condition, whether through natural means or supernatural means. Jesus may have looked at him and seen it, or Jesus had the ability to tap into the spirit realm. But what we knew is that Jesus knew. Question is for us, do we know what's going on with us? So here's the process. The first thing is you must know your mental condition. If I don't know what's wrong with me, how can I receive mercy and be healed? If I'm not willing to accept where my mind is, how can I be helped properly? In 2017, I had a really big burnout. 2018, I had another burnout. This year, I have really, really small. They become smaller and smaller. 2017, it was very big. I did not know what was happening to me. I knew that something significant was taking place that I had never encountered before. And I was sharing it with my wife, and I was past. I knew the scripture. Let me tell you something. When I was going through the burnout, I was like, do not tell me this scripture. I already know it. And my wife, what do you think she did? <laughs> I'll be doggone if she didn't say, and anyway, the Bible says... But it didn't matter what she and I tried to do to address what I was going on, going on with me until I went and sat with a licensed counselor and learned that I was having a burnout. Everything that we did was wrong. As a matter of fact, when we learned I was having a burnout and we looked at the things that trigger it and make it worse, everything that we were doing was making it worse. So I had to come there and say, with all due respect, all these things that you do are actually pushing me in a worse place. And now that we know what's going on, we are empowered to do the right things. You, when you think about your mind, you have to ask the following questions. Do I experience restlessness? Difficulty concentrating, difficulty making decisions, insomnia, and or irrational fears. You might have anxiety. Do I experience persistent sadness or self-loathing or loss of interest in all activities or anxiety and or suicidal tendencies? You may be experiencing depression. You need to know your mental condition. Jesus knows it, but if you want to access the mercy available to you, you have to know it too. Then Jesus says to him, do you wish to get well? I love this process. It starts with acknowledging what's going on. I see you're sick, but do you want to be well? The unfortunate reality for a lot of people that you're trying to help is that they don't want to be well. Some people don't view their condition as severe. Or some people, have you ever met a person that loves to have something bad going on with them? Like, you know, every answer you give them, they're like, yeah, 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 I hear that, but. Yeah, 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 I know that, but. You got about three butts with me, and I say, you just want to be like that, and I'm tired. I don't have the energy. I'm going to let you stay like that because I got to protect my mind. And at this point, you are draining my mind. That's a real thing. Sometimes as a pastor, I got to know my boundaries. What's the limitation? How far am I willing to go with you? How much do you need to learn to pray for yourself? 
We don't like that. We just want the pastor to pray for us all the time. My word actually shows me you have access to God in prayer too. I want to train you to go to God. You might not be able to get to me at 3.15 a.m., but you can sure get to God. So you must know the severity of your mental condition. Some downplay it. They try to make it lesser than what it is because they feel like I have to accept something's wrong with me. Or some see it as a weakness. They feel trapped by the insecurity of what was going on. When I was having a burnout, I didn't feel good about that. It felt really silly. For me, it felt very weak because I had been Superman for so many people. How could Superman let something happen to him? Some are just ill-informed. But Jesus knows how bad your condition is. He waits on you to admit it before he can get to moving and fixing it for you. He won't heal what you won't acknowledge. If you've ever sat with a counselor, they can't bring healing to what you don't first bring out. So once Jesus was aware of his condition, then Jesus said, I need to know that you have the hope to be healed. Which is the next point. Know that there is a hope for, tomorrow, for a better tomorrow. I'm sure that this man sat there, but he lets us know when he's talking. He's like, I've been here all this time. Every time the water's trouble, nobody's there to put me in. It's me, and nobody will do it for me. I'm sure he had these thoughts of I'm not enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not fast enough, I'm not popular enough, I'm not strong enough, and the enemy has told you all these lies about how you are not enough or how you're not worthy. How dare you, devil, tell me that I'm not worthy when I am a child of the Most High God. My Father is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I'm worthy of all that's available to me. Peace is my portion. Rest is my portion. Joy is my portion. The treasure for me is having happiness and joy that is everlasting. So you got to remain hopeful that healing will happen. I'm almost done. And I know it's going longer today than normal, but I want to get your mind healed. Hmm. The man says, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Everybody else gets it before me. I've been wanting it. I've been waiting for it. Why does it look like everybody else is happier than me? Why does it look like everybody is experiencing more joy? Why do they have more than me? And even that's perception. Because half of what people present to you is not the full package. It's the pretty design that was designed for you to see them in a specific way. Get you some people in your life that will be transparent with you. People be like, Pastor Bro, you just, every, everything be popping you. And I'd be like, yes, and it'd be hard too. And I'd be tired a lot and I'd be aggravated and frustrated. But I'm resilient. Right? I don't try to hide the fact that what I do is not easy. I have a grace to do it. And this is the other thing. Don't want something that you don't have a grace for. Because half of the anxiety that you feel is because you stepped into something that you weren't ready for. You tried to get somebody else's life when God had one design for you. Be comfortable in what God has for you. Step in your season. Because if I try to wear shoes too small or too large for me, both of them are going to be uncomfortable. 
Either I'm going to take them off and my feet going to be hurting or I'm, I'm liable to fall because they're slipping and sliding. No matter what, I'm only designed to be comfortable in what was perfectly designed for me. And half of your mental issues would be corrected if you stopped trying to live in somebody else's destiny. So you know what Jesus said? He said, look, he asked him, do you want to be made whole? Know that you need to and get some help. Jesus begins to speak to him. I want to go back to this in the scripture where Jesus speaks, speaks to this man. He said, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. Jesus said, do something. Jesus could have just touched him, but he said, do something. He could have just laid hands on him, but he said, get up. You have to understand that when it comes to fixing your mind, you have to be willing to do something. You have to know that you need help and you have to go and get it. And I believe in the bridge of what God does and what I believe that there is a perfect balance in trying Jesus and a counselor too. As a matter of fact, now what I desire is that you know how to find the right counselor. Just make sure you don't sit on the couch of a witch. So this man says, I have no one to put me in the pool. Nobody's willing to help me when I am in this moment. He literally has all these things that he's carrying and his mind keeps telling him, that I need help, but nobody wants to help me. Jesus doesn't focus on that, though. He said, what are you going to do now? Let's not consider what has happened in the past. See, for you, a lot of you, today is going to be a new day. You're going to consider what you're going to do going forward. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. He's in the house of mercy. He had the best counselor in front of him. And I love that. I love that we refer to Jesus as the wonderful counselor, and then we make counselors not appear to be wonderful, isn't it? So Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Let's talk about this. Here's a, here, I'm about to wrap this up. Here's what you need to do. Know the work that needs to be done. Most people want to be healed, but they don't know what to do. Others are told what to do, but they discredit the instruction. Yeah. Naming, go dip in the river of Jordan seven times. Excuse me, what you want me to do? That's nasty. I don't want to go through that process. You mean that I actually have to forgive somebody? You mean I actually have to have a conversation with the person who helped hurt me so that I can move forward? Yeah, the process may be ugly that you have to go through, but if it gets you to a place of freedom in your mind, take that journey. I'm sure the man thought, get up, pick up my pallet and walk. I do that every day. What's that supposed to do today? Are you thinking, you're not going to lay your hands on me? Hmm. You are coming with the order, knowing the earl, right? You're going to know my head with the You want me to get up, take up my pallet and walk. Imagine if the man never moved his situation would not have moved either. 
It was in the obedience that God was able to do something. You know, when you think about anxiety, there's some things that you can do to help you. Practical things. Deep breathing. Go for a walk. Meditation is good. All right? Just don't get to doing hum, num, 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 num. <laughs> Write down your thoughts. Pay attention to good things. Right? So you have to know the work that needs to be done. Then you have to do the work that needs to be done. Right? Ramai, you can come. It's not enough to have knowledge. It's, you know, because sometimes people say knowledge is, is power. No, it's not. Knowledge applied. And actually, applied knowledge is wisdom. And the Bible says that wisdom is the principal thing. Principal meaning the most important thing that you can get is wisdom. It's why Solomon, when he was given the opportunity to have access to anything, Solomon said, give me wisdom. Because what I understand is without wisdom, anything I attain is only temporary. But anything that I get through wisdom can be repeated over and over again. So you can keep your knowledge. I want to have some wisdom. Hmm. I do think that it's important to note that the scripture says immediately the man became well. Hmm. The instruction is not what made him well. The obedience is what made him well. The instruction was good because you are empowered through instruction. But when you are obedient to it. Some of you haven't listened two weeks ago when I said that you need to clean up your camp. You're still frustrated because you were afraid to tell some people that we can't be connected anymore. You are toxic for my life. And while I love you, I love my health a little bit more. So you must know your mental condition, know the severity of the condition, know there's hope for a better tomorrow, know that you need to get some help, know the work that needs to be done, and do the work. Value the house of mercy, both here at the church and even in the hospital if necessary. I believe that God wants to Help some of you even today. Stay if you don't.